The reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and, the, and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Lord, it's wonderful for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he spoke, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son, who brings me great joy. Listen to him. The disciples were terrified and fell face down on the ground. Then Jesus came over and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus. As they went back down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of Christ. Good morning. How are y'all? Good. Hey, I'm Nick. Um, I go to church here. I'm not normally up here. So if you're here for the first time, I'm sorry. Um, I don't know if this was a sign from the Lord or not, but uh, about 15 minutes ago, me and about 10 other people got locked out of church. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of feel like that might mean something. Um, so uh, I've wrestled with this passage for like a month. Like I've always thought like if Lindsay or, or, or someone would tell me like a, a month ahead of time that surely I'd have plenty of time to prepare and, and weeks in advance I'd have it all written out, all the words I wanted to say and what I wanted to think. I'd be able to pray about them and I'd be able to make my points hit harder and, and the jokes I tell be funnier. And, and so Lindsay let me know like on January 25th and yesterday at 2.45 I'm still looking at a blank page going, what in the world? Um, I warned Lindsay and my wife that I may just get up here and, um, and just read through the scripture two more times and then go, what do you think? <laughs> uh, I was talking to my friend Kyle yesterday on the phone and he was like, uh, I was kind of telling him that and he was like, so you're going to do like a think prayer share? And I smiled and confirmed with my face that that was 100% one of the things I was thinking about doing, uh, to which he gave me a look of concern. Uh, it wasn't really a look of concern because I'm having this conversation on the phone, but like his, his voice came from what sounded like a face of concern and a very judgy face too, <laughs> which if you know Kyle, you've seen before. Um, my wife... Uh, is, is wise and helpful, and she started asking me questions yesterday, like, hey, well, she knew I was struggling, and she said, what, what do you think, uh, what, what strikes you ab about the scripture, this scripture? Um, what is it about, um, I was reading this author, Ken Geyer, what is it about what he said that, that you liked? Um, what about that thing you were saying last week, uh, when you wanted to go in the direction of, of joy with all of this? And, and she was being kind and helpful, but every question she asked just made me want to scream. Not at her, just out loud. Um, and uh, I, 
I, I was trying to wrestle with like what that was, why am I feeling that way, and um, I, I felt like one, the text speaks for itself, and, and what more could I add to it, and, and to be honest, I was dealing with a little bit of shame of feeling like hey, it's kind of falling flat on me, and, and you're going to know that, and, and that shouldn't happen, right? Like, if I'm a believer, um, so in my search, I'm, I'm, I'm reading through all these sermons and listening to sermons about the transfiguration, and I'm brought back to a quote by this guy named John uh, Meilenberg. Um, and it's something that I've known. It's something that people tell me, but I, I, I just gotten lost. And, um, and here's the way he puts this practice that I think is um, essential when reading Scripture. He says, we cannot hear stories of the Bible, what they're saying, until we hear them as stories about ourselves. We have to imagine our way into them. So I'd say let's begin there with today's Scripture. Um, allow me to try and tell you a story that you can put yourself into. Um, that you can put yourself in the shoes of, of Peter and James and John. I know I, I, w- I would personally be in the shoes of Peter because I say dumb things a lot. Um, but I try really hard. I would definitely be the guy hauling all those fish up. Um, so here we go. Um, close your eyes if you want to. Mm, I don't care. Um, It wasn't that many days ago, maybe eight or ten days ago, when Jesus was asking you, who do the people say that I am? And then he asked you more specifically, each one of you and your friends who've been following him around, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, our Savior. And then it's about six days ago, that Jesus is teaching about what's going to happen to him. How he's going to be tortured and suffer at the hands of the priests and the scribes. How he's going to be killed and raised on the third day. It was just six days ago when Peter, cocky from his last answer, decides to tell Jesus, no, you're wrong. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And then those same six days ago when Jesus says, hey, you've got to learn that this isn't going to go the way you think it is. You've got to deny yourself and you've got to take up your cross and follow me. That was six days ago. Now it's this morning. This morning you were awoken by a gentle touch. Jesus wakes you up. He says, hey, get up. Come on, me." He didn't say where you're going, but as always, you're intrigued. Every time he goes somewhere that's interesting, When you go to meet him, you realize it's not just you, it's you and two other guys, Peter, James, John. You start walking, you don't know where you're going, Uh, you start to pick your way through this pathless incline, through this weather-beaten rock. First you go through like the sweet-smelling grasses, through the foothills, you go up to the trees and the tree line, then you get up to just where it's bare rock. You found Jesus up on the mountains before, you've seen him praying there, you've even got to spend some time with him there before. And remember how sweet that's been. You're looking forward to this moment. Just the four of you. Once you arrive at the top, you realize how bad your feet hurt from this long walk. Your hands are on your knees. You're trying to catch your breath. You find a quiet place to pray. You lean on this sheer rock as the sweat runs down your head, down the back of your neck. Your shirt, your neckline is soaked. Maybe your belly wrinkles. Um, 
your heart rate slows and, and you take a look up and you see the beauty. It's the colors of the afternoon, late afternoon. You see maybe the Mediterranean Sea. You sit down, catch your breath, realize how tired you are, and before you know it, you drift off asleep. And then you awake, not knowing how long you've been asleep. You start to rub your eyes and realize something crazy is going on. You start wondering if you're even awake. Because there's Jesus, but his face is shining like the sun. You notice your friends just awoke as well, and you both, and you're all, all three of you are on your feet, and you're looking, and you're, you're confused, and you're in awe, and you're scared, and you're just amazed, and just shell-shocked. As you look at this brightness, and you, and you start to realize it's not just brightness that you see, it's that you feel. It's like you're feeling what you've just always dreamed heaven was like. The way things are meant to be. When God talked about justice and making things the way they were meant to be, you feel it. You realize it's not a dream. You're finally seeing Jesus in his fullness. Peter, when he described him as the Christ, as the son of the living God, those words don't even seem like enough right now. And in the light of Jesus' fullness... The glory of the Father. Everything else is paling in comparison. You have this beautiful view that means little now because of what you're seeing and what you're feeling. This man that has just been a man that you've believed in is changing in front of your very eyes. And you realize he was talking about you. Six days ago when he said, some of you won't taste death until you see me coming into your kingdom. He was talking about you. He was talking about me. As you stand there shell-shocked, you see Moses and Elijah speaking with him. And they're talking about his departure. Or I think the word actually translates to his exodus. This thing that he's been talking about. The thing he's been telling you where he's going to go and he's going to suffer and he's going to be tortured and he's going to die and he's going to raise again. Exodus, he's taking us with him. Around that time, Peter speaks up. He starts to say something. And just as he begins, you hear it. The fear. I am the voice of the living God. Before the first syllable, you're on the ground. Because no place else even makes sense to be. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased there are words that form your very soul now you're holding your breath and listening closer than you've ever listened before and silent grabbing onto the ground listen to him silence as you try to will your body somehow underground You're not startled somehow by a touch. It's the same touch you felt that very morning. It's Jesus on your shoulder. Get up. Don't be afraid. It's funny, it's the same words that you've heard just recently. Don't be afraid. The words he said in the middle of the storm. 
Get up the words you heard him say to Jairus' daughter when he raised her from the dead. They're the same consistent words you hear over and over and over again from him. And the way he acts and the way he moves towards you. So hopefully you can put yourself there right now. You can see the scene. Smell it maybe. So what do we do with it? How do we take this with us? I want to carry this with me. I, I, when I was reading it, I would, I, so I've always heard like some of heroes of the faith to me talk about this passage and how much impact it's had on their lives. I mean, I, I want that, how it shaped them. It certainly shaped Peter and James and John's life. And I, I, I want that and I want to carry that. And so what's that look like? Or how do we do that? Or what are we carrying with us? I think there's two major things here. One, what an invitation. That's meant for you and for me, but let's just look at just the story. Like, this is obviously a crucial moment for Jesus. But before we get there, he invited three guys to go with him. As I wrestle with my own issues in life, like my sin, confusion, struggles, um, everything else that comes on this journey, I've tried, at least recently, to always turn back to the same place at the beginning, which is what my father's stance toward me is. Lindsay sits up here each Sunday almost and says, quotes Brennan Manning as saying, the father has one, one single stance towards you. It's a, relent, a relentless stance of love towards you. It doesn't alter. His, consistent, his, his invitation is consistent. It's a continuous pursuit of everlasting love for me and for you. I go back consistently to Psalm 139 and says this. When I, th- when I think about his pursuit and his invitation, this invitation of us up on the mountain, Psalm 139 says this, Where shall I go from your presence? Where shall I flee from your spirit? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, Even there, your hand shall guide me, your right hand shall hold me. How precious are your thoughts of me. They are more than the sand. I awake and you are with me. He pursues and invites you and I daily. May we eagerly listen and look for him. This is God's word for you and for I. He is invitational. And then what's going on up here on the mountain? Let's go back and think. If we want to know what's going on up on the mountain. He's uh, just recently before this continued talking about his departure. How he'll leave. He'll go into Jerusalem and he'll suffer and he'll be tortured and he'll be killed and he'll raise three days and raise in three days. I think he was teaching and trying to prepare the disciples for this, but I think also he's coming to terms with it himself. He's preparing himself. There's only a few times recorded in the Gospels where God, like the living God, speaks. And two of those times he says the exact same thing. He repeats himself. 
I repeat myself a lot to my kids. Most of the time, trying to get them to listen. Um, So I think this is important. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He says it two times. He says it once at the baptism before Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days to be tempted. He says it another time right before or on the mountain before he goes in down into this valley of suffering, stepping towards the cross. Both times it's said he moves into, it's before Jesus moves into difficulty and uneasiness and suffering and brokenness. I think it sounds a lot like you, you, your and my worlds right now. Here's what I think is going on. Jesus sees how quickly the cross is coming at him. And he, he's going to be obedient to his father. I have a friend, I'm, I'm totally going off, off track here, but I feel like this is such a good thing. I have a, a friend who constantly reminds me that Jesus didn't die on the cross because he loves us. Which I think everybody's like, wait, what? He didn't die on the cross because he loves us. He died on the cross. He went to the cross out of obedience to the father. Because of his love for the father. He did it out of obedience. He's going to be obedient. But he knows to do that, there has to be something filling him up. He has to be full. There has to be this overflowing. And so he goes up to the mountain to be with his father because he needs that. He needs the strength and he needs the encouragement. He needs the love and the comfort that can only come from one place. To go to something that deep and dark, it can only come from one place. And so that's what he's doing. And he invites us to go. What comfort he must have felt to get to talk to Moses and Elijah. Two people who had seen the wilderness, who had suffered, who had been rejected by the very people that they came to lead. What it must have felt like to finally be who he really was for a minute. Like shine in his full, like the full glory and weight of God, really be shining and showing. It must have felt like just such a deep breath to be finally home again. And then the words from his father. That give his feet the strength to move. Each word helping take another step towards the cross. This step is step. My beloved step, step, step. Son, step. With whom I am well pleased. Step, step, step. Like it it would be the fullness that would turn into a run towards the cross. It's those words of truth doesn't even seem real enough. Full of the weight of God, the heaviness and truth of, of the living God that were so real that the disciples dodged them like a boulder being thrown in a tornado and all they could do was go prostrate to the ground. Those words that took him into the garden and then to the courtyard and then to the governor's palace and then to Golgotha and the cross. So let's take these two crucial elements of the story and put them together. We have the invitation and the glory and the weight of the the, the real weight of God. 
Let us not forget that when God looks at us, our Creator looks at us, He sees Jesus. I think that's something that I need every single day to be reminded of. He sees my brother Jesus when He looks at us. As adopted sons and daughters of our Creator, we're offered the same thing that He received here on the mountain. We're invited to be given the very weight of God. The weight that carried Jesus to the cross and the weight that John experienced and Peter experienced and James experienced. The weight that took the three of them to their deaths. It's the weight you were created to bear. Not bear like a yoke. Bear and show. Psalm 139 says this also. When you think about who your father formed you to be, it says this. He formed your inward parts. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. His eyes saw your unformed substance. In his book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for you, when as yet there were none of them. It is the glory of God that by Christ you have in you. You have the Christ in you. You carry that weight with you. It is that weight inside you that when you think, and Psalm 139 says again, um, when I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. I will not fear because even the darkness is not dark to him. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with him. It's that glory that you have inside of you that we're invited to carry, invited to know. The band can come up. Um, my hope is that I, maybe you recall this passage daily. Um, the heart of the passage, this invitation. May it be a reminder of what's uh, offered to us. May, may we carry it with us. Carrying the Father's words for us. Not just for Jesus, but His words for us. Our brother, when He sees us, He sees Jesus. And so when He says, this is my beloved son or daughter, He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. With whom I am well pleased. It's those words that strengthen us to deny ourselves. To take up our cross and to follow Him. Without those words, I don't think I can move in that direction. I, I, don't, I don't think. I know I can't. I don't. With, without those words, without hearing those words, I don't move in that direction. I long to be obedient. And I need that. May we recall the invitation that Christ gives us, that our Father gives us, that we can carry the weight of God, that Christ is in us, and that we can bear it. Because I think this, I think in carrying it, I believe we're much more likely to see it in others as well. That we might see the light of Christ in others as well. And I know when, when, when that happens with me, I, I, I interact differently. It's been, my wife could tell you that uh, this past season, that is my longing. I, w I want to enjoy other people, and I cannot do that without um, hearing his invitation and hearing. Um, he says about me and carrying that weight and then seeing it in my kids and in my wife and in the 
people I interact with. I treat them differently. I'm, I'm who I was created to be. Frederick Beekner is a favorite author of mine, and he writes about this experience like this. It's as strange a scene as there is in the Gospels. Even without the voice from the cloud to explain it, they had no doubt what they were witnessing. It was Jesus of Nazareth, all right, the man they tramped many a dusty mile with, whose mothers and brothers they knew, the one they'd seen as hungry, tired, footsore as the rest of them. But it was also the Messiah, the Christ, in his glory. It was the holiness of the men shining through his human it was the holiness of the man shining through his humanness, his face so afire with it, they were almost blinded. Even with us, something like that happens once in a while. The face of a man walking his child in the park, of a woman picking peas in the garden, of sometimes even the unlikeliest person listening to a concert, say, or standing barefoot in the sand watching the waves roll in, or just having a beer at a Saturday baseball game in July. Every once and so often, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive transfigures the human face that it's almost beyond bearing. May we recall his invitation, recall his stance toward us, recognize the weight in us, share it, bear it. Pray with me, please. Father, may we look with the eyes that we are invited to have, moving with the weight that we are invited to be into our communities, our families, into the valley of suffering with full knowledge confidence of the restoration that we are getting to take part in bringing. We ask these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.